0: Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground.
1: Welcome to the mystical underground. This is, thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor and Rob McGregor and technician, magician John Posey. You can go to the mysticalunderground.com where you can where we make regular blog posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction books, The Shift, Reports from the Mystical Underground. Trisha's latest novel is White Crows, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas, available on audio as well as print and ebook. Okay, our guest
2: <laughs> Okay, our guest today is Anuradha Dayal Gulati. She is an energy practitioner and transformational coach with a PhD in economics. After 15 years in finance and academia, she began a new path of helping people release the past and reclaim their power. Anu's book is called Heal Your Ancestral Roots, Release the Family Patterns that Hold You Back. It's a practical guide to releasing the burden of transgenerational legacies and reclaiming your power to create the life you want. Her book explains the many ways your ancestral field can <clears throat> support you, as well as how it can hold you captive. Welcome Anu. Thank, Thank you for you both. Us.
3: Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah. Well, your book is fascinating,
1: and Rob says he wants the first question. So
2: Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, so we start with a synchronicity. Today is Easter. And we're going to be talking in a sense about the resurrection of the dead in your life. And we didn't schedule you intentionally on this holiday, but uh, can you talk a little bit about what I'm referring to about the presence of dead ancestors in our lives? That might scare some that might scare some people, but <laughs> you can explain.
3: <laughs> well, I think it's um it's kind of interesting that you asked a question on today. Um and I If someone had told me that your ancestors are hanging around you or making their presence felt before I started doing this work, I would have just simply shrugged it off. Like, (laughs) I don't believe you. This is like nonsense. But now I've come to realize that our ancestors are making their presence felt in our life like all the time. And the way it shows up is it shows up in the way patterns repeat in our lives. Um, And we may not think about it, but things will happen. And if we look back, we might find it happened to an, and the event repeated for an ancestor It might have happened at the same age, or it may be just a similar experience. You, you know, the part that we're most familiar with is when we say we have reactions, emotional reactions that are almost similar to our appearance, you know, whether we shut down, whether we are gregarious, outgoing, lose our temper, whatever we do, our emotional responses mirror those of our parents. But sometimes when we start to notice patterns repeating in our lives, it is something that is calling to us to heal it and shift it.
1: Hmm. I uh, explain to me how this works, because a lot of people aren't aware of what the patterns were for their ancestors. Like, I didn't even know my grandparents, for instance. So how, how do you know, how do you come to identify this kind of thing?
3: Well, I think there's different ways. But let me explain first what I mean by the ancestral patterns. And I'll give you an example of um, a woman, a client I had. She was this really young woman. And she came to me because she had dropped out of law school and it was causing a lot of turmoil in her family. Her parents were upset. Um, they were really <clears throat> with her and she just felt like she wasn't sure what she wanted to do. And as we started talking, we discovered that her mother had dropped out of college, eloped, got me, got me, uh, got pregnant. And that was the end of you know, college for her, and she was an extremely bright woman, but, you know, so now when she's seeing her daughter drop out of college, uh, dropping out of law school, where she has this potential to have a career, to have, you know, a life, financial independence maybe, and she's just really upset, and so when I pointed this out to to the daughter, I said, you know, look, look, this is something that's happened in your generation too, Uh, maybe this is a family wound that is calling to be healed." And she was like, I don't really believe this. And we step back one more generation and found that actually her grandmother was in medical school, um, dropped out, got married to someone, then got divorced, went back huh. to medical school and finished her medical degree. So this is a third generation in which a pattern is repeating, wow. where you're seeing this conflict between women education what do I want to do what do I not want to do men you know all of this and so the question was what was she going to do and this was a a, you know this was like something about reclaiming her own power what was her inner guidance telling her where was her truth and after working with her she actually decided what she really wanted to do was go back to law school and get her degree, which she did. And, you know, of course, the whole family was thrilled and she was, you know, happy to finish the degree. But it was important to recognize that this was coming from a place of what do I want to do? Not what, you know, circumstances or so in some sense, that is the healing of the wound. Like as a woman, what did she really want to do? And she broke the pattern. She broke the pattern. Now, I understand what you're saying about not knowing your grandparents. I didn't know my grandfathers. I barely knew my grandmothers. I heard stories from my mother. But the other thing I noticed is, you know, when you start journaling, it's really interesting how... If you, if you start to journal, you'll find information that starts to flow over time. Things that happen, there are dreams that come, there are ways in which your ancestral field starts to communicate with you. Huh. And of course, so now we have you know family constellation therapy, which is another way in which the ancestral field can communicate for people who really want to explore. Um, and When you start doing this, you find like little messages, um, people report, you know, having photographs appear, relatives appear. And of course, you know, here you have ways in which you can like go on genealogy or, you know, 23. Uh, And there's ways of like exploring your ancestry um, if you really wanted to. That's fascinating.
1: So synchronicity is a real integral part of this. Like what you said, you start finding photographs or you come up with a letter or something like that. That's interesting.
3: Yeah, and I I know that both of you work a lot with synchronicity. And so it's Mm -hmm. interesting that that's one of the ways in which the family Uh field makes its presence felt because you could call even the existence of patterns almost like a kind of synchronicity. Oh, certainly. And it's not that the pattern... You know, it may repeat in identical format. Like, for instance, I I knew this I know this client of mine who wanted to get divorced, kind of around the same period at which her parents had gotten divorced. So it's like you know, after the same number of years, something is happening. Hmm. Um, so there is if you don't if you don't think about it, if you're not noticing, it doesn't feel connected. But there is like, there is an element of synchronicity because patterns actually keep coming up. You release them and then you find another pattern. Uh huh. Because there's um. lots of pre-programming that we are dealing with. Wow.
2: What impact uh, has your family history had on your life, and uh, on and uh, has that influenced you to write the book?
3: But, you know, when I started seeing clients, um, when I left academia, when I left, um, you know, what I had been doing, and I started seeing clients, I started to notice there were these patterns that were showing up, like if a woman wanted to, you know, have a good relationship with her daughter, but her daughter had moved, you know, across to the West Coast and want to have much to do with her. And then we're talking and I found out that she and her own mother don't speak. So this is a, across generations and you know that can happen it doesn't seem so dramatic but at that point in time I looked at my mother my sister and myself I had just moved from Chicago to Boston my sister had also moved to a completely different city and my mother um, had you know gotten married and moved to a completely different city where she raised us but now that my father's family and all his generation had passed away, she was suddenly feeling like, I don't belong in the city. I didn't grow up here. I didn't go to school here. Huh. And the culture is very different. Um, And she had a strong feeling of not belonging. And I started to notice I was struggling with the same feeling. My sister was struggling with the same huh. feeling. This like I'm not part of the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that struggle is what really sort of led me to explore this. But what I came to realize is that no matter where I live, home is not where you live. It's where you belong. Mm -hmm. And you can only belong to yourself. Mm -hmm. You cannot belong anywhere else. And it's that the pattern that I feel like I healed because it extended back to my grandmother but the pattern that I feel that I healed was of coming home to myself of releasing this feeling of not belonging uh-huh. and recognizing that you can only live from that space inside of you you have to come home to yourself well
1: you know what you're talking about I, as, as you were talking I was thinking okay my grandmother was born in Russia and at some point she came to the U.S. but I don't know what her age was or what the circumstances were. I was born in Venezuela and came to the U S when I was 16. So now I'm going to have to go back and see if I could find information about when she came to the States because she always, I mean, I, I didn't know her that well. i would only seen her a few times, but sometimes when she would talk about it, she would say, I don't really belong here. So the same thing you're talking about. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Get busy. And,
3: <laughs> oh, and and Trish, the other thing is, you know, one of the things that in this book I have is this framework of how do you come home to yourself, and honoring your ancestors is part of this journey of coming home, because when you start to honor them, you start to feel connected with them, even if you didn't really know them,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and there's this coherence inside of you of like you know, this is what I came from. This energy lives inside of me because for us to be here today, in seven generations, there are 252 mothers and fathers that needed to have existed for us wow. to be And that's a lot. Yeah. In, in 20 generations, it's a million. That's all, that's, <laughs> you know, when you start to recognize I could be connected to anyone on this earth.
1: Right. Interesting.
2: I read recently about a woman who has the record number of children. She had 64 children in her life. (laughs) Imagine, uh, and that was in the early 1800s. Uh, (laughs) Imagine how many (laughs) ancestors there are in that family. Maybe we're all related to her.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh
2: So uh, you you were originally trained as an economist uh, and you're working in that field. But uh, what inspired you to change your career?
3: You know, I don't think I ever planned to change my career. I wasn't, <laughs> I was unhappy, but I wasn't like thinking of changing it. But I think it that it was sort of inevitable because um, I had a health problem and I had to go into the ER. And, you know, I came out thinking, okay, fine, like back to life as usual, right? That's just a blip. But then one night, you know, kind of out of nowhere, I had to go back into the ER again. And I remember starting to get scared. I remember starting to feel like what's going on. I did come out again. But when I had to go in the third time, (laughs) I could tell like the doctors really didn't know what was going on. And I myself could feel the sense of despair sweeping over me. I could start to feel how scared I was. But I had a really dear friend, and she was very into alternative healing. And I wasn't, but she came to see me in the hospital. And she held my hand. And she said, Anu, how many times are you going to go through this before you're willing to change? Like, what is it going to take for you to change? And her words still ring in my ears. Like, you know what is it going to take you to change and I remember I literally willed myself out of the hospital and I began to explore alternative methods of healing and so I found this like amazing Chinese medicine doctor I discovered flower essences and those two things together changed the trajectory of my life huh. and that's why I said you know I'm not going back to what I was doing and it it wasn't like it happened instantly but it was there were a few things that like just shifted me completely. And I was like, I'm not going back to that world. Mm. But what it really taught me was, you know, how important hope is in our lives. Hope is so valuable. And I think today on Easter, you know, the resurrection is is the importance of hope. That's what Mm. it is. That's what keeps our world alive. And I realized this is what I really want to do the feeling that, you know, you can change things. You are never powerless. And that's my mission.
2: Yeah. Was there any particular inspiration that set you on the path of writing this book? Why you make that step?
3: You know, like changing (laughs) fields. When I started ancestral healing work and the training, I would go away for the weekend and I would come back and I would, write and write and write and I think it was my way of processing everything Um, but it also gave me the language and the framework to understand what I was seeing in America and what I had seen growing up in India but I had no words for it so the writing I think was just you know all the gears Uh turned and giving me a way to process all of the differences that I was seeing and struggling to understand. And that's how the book really came about. I didn't really plan to write a book.
4: Mm-hmm. Wow.
3: Well, it evolved just like you
1: did. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yes. it's cool. But mm-hmm. uh, okay, tell us about these flower essences you mentioned. <clears throat> how does that figure into this?
3: So, the longest journey that we take, the longest healing journey we take is from the head to the heart. And so we can understand everything intellectually. You know, this is how I need to shift. This is how I need to know my ancestors, honor my ancestors. But you know what? I can't stand my grandparents. I can't stand my mother. I hate (laughs) my father. And how are we going to make this shift from intellectually saying, "I I know I need to let go and actually being able to let go. And this is where I find flower essences really support the journey from the head to the heart because they work at the level of the heart um, and they shift the energy of the emotions. So they can shift like fear, anger, sadness, and You know, there were researchers at the University of Glasgow who said there are four primary emotions. There's fear, there's anger, there's sadness and joy. But a lot of times we're cycling in the first three. We want to get to joy, but most of the time we're cycling in the first three. And what Dr. Bach, who discovered flower essences in the 1930s, he took, like, for instance, fear and had you know, broke it down into the nuances of fear, fear for your loved ones, fears that you can speak about, fears that uh. you cannot speak about. <clears throat> and identified flowers that would shift that energy. Huh. And really they come from the idea that dew, which was considered sacred, like how do we capture the energy of dew? So flower essences are really like wildflower infusions in spring water preserved with brandy. That's what flower oh. essences are. So that's a energetic
2: property. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Flor- Florida water? You're familiar with that one? Okay. Florida water is <laughs> uh water with sweet orange, lavender, and uh clove. And it's right here. <laughs> yeah, but tell her how it's used. I yeah. Mean. <laughs> uh, so this this is a spiritual practice uh for cleansing spiritually that's used uh um in Miami, I know, and uh, in the islands uh, for in Santeria, uh, practice for in Cuba for, uh, yeah, Cuba, uh, for uh, a spiritual cleansing. They they kind of wipe it over you and uh, in the in the process and sprinkle it on you. <laughs> right. Yeah. <so.
3: laughs> Who makes it?
2: Who makes it? Uh, That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, it's it's made in New York, uh, Florida water cologne. It's called uh, Mur- Murray Murray and. Landman uh are the the makers, Murray uh-huh. and Landman L A N M A N. So yeah, you might I try that. It. Yeah, yeah.
5: And, and 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 just want to point out they're not a sponsor of the podcast, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, <laughs>
2: uh, we don't hold products in front of no. the <laughs> camera very often,
1: but. <laughs> but I, don't, when I have a question. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. No, go ahead. um When somebody comes to you with a physical problem. Can you treat that with flower essences too?
3: And That's a great question. So I trained in flower essences in the U.S. Uh-huh. And in the U.S., we are not allowed to say that they help with anything physical.
1: Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah. So in, in Europe, they do say that, you know, flower essences can help for like these, you know, they help with these symptoms. But in the U.S., we're not allowed to say that. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just listening for the emotions and the emotional that are coming up. But, you know, we do know that emotions, in the end, reside in the tissues. That's why a lot of energy workers say the issues are in the tissues.
1: Uh Um, So true. But,
3: yeah, in the U.S., we are not allowed to say that.
1: That's so weird.
2: (laughs) So what are the most common issues that... uh, uh, people have that you've uh, uh, helped them heal?
3: You know, Rob, all the research says that when we have good relationships, we are healthier, we are happier, we're much more at peace or contented. And I think what I've noticed is that when people come, um, even if it might be for something else, at the end of the day, it's a relationship issue. Mm-hmm. Might be with a boss, might be with a co worker, might be kids, parents, siblings, children, um, wanting to get into a relationship, leave a relationship, deepen a relationship. But it's always about the relationship. Mm. That's also what...
1: the relationship with yourself, too, right?
3: Yes. And in the end, a, What I want people to do is to restore that connection with themselves, because when you restore that connection to yourself, when you come home to yourself, you can start to live from that place of releasing expectations of others. Mm. And that allows you to be much more at peace in your relationships Mm. because you're not looking to fill something from outside.
2: Have you dealt with uh, people who have just abandoned their family relations? Uh, I have an aunt who, uh, she just stopped talking to, all her brothers and sisters like 40 years ago or something and just never communicated with them. They hadn't seen her. They didn't know, they knew where she lived, but uh, she had no interest in talking with them. And the only person she talked to in the family was my mother who is not genetically related to her She's from the other side of the family. Uh, And interestingly, I, I was in a, uh, when my mother died, I had a, I, invited her to the funeral and so I got to know her and uh I think it was Trish took a picture of me and uh my aunt sitting together eating lunch together and I sent that to all the all the brothers and sisters and they were just astonished they hadn't seen her for <laughs> decades and there I am <laughs> the wow. kind, of, kind of person who is not really related not really involved in that family but being a healer and so as a result she's gotten back in contact with her brother which was the older brother which was the main issue and they've gotten to be good friends but now she doesn't talk to me but anyhow it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter
3: <laughs> you know i i love that story and I, we never know so the person who's got who who doesn't want to make amends or repair that's not the person who's coming to me the no. person who's coming to me is the person who <laughs> wants to create change who wants to create the shift and I think um, you know at some level who said it about mindfulness it's it's the it's understanding that people might have a different reality than your own Mm -hmm. so what triggered her to get so upset to have that falling out and then cut off from everybody we don't really know Um, you know, maybe somebody knows in your family, but that's the part when people behave in a certain way. It's like an expression of pain. It's Mm -hmm. that pain that we don't want to, we don't understand. Sometimes they don't want to share. We don't know what's causing it, but that's the part that sort of makes its presence felt. Mm -hmm. And in the end, that's really how trauma expresses itself. It might be big to you, Trauma might be a little tea, but it expresses itself in that sort of behavior of anger and underneath it, probably a sense of deep sadness of not being seen, of not being acknowledged.
1: Um, mm-hmm. that
3: is underlying it all.
1: Maybe yeah. that's why the photograph changed things, Rob.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe so. You I mean, know, you see so, it. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, she and the brother, the older brother, that was the main source of the problem. Uh, they communicate regularly and he's gone to visit her. And so that's, huh. that's great. Yeah. I think it was a problem of uh, him being critical of her uh, as the, the source of it. That's what I seem mm. to recall from, from talking mm. to her.
3: Yeah. And you know, that's something that happens even when kids, when they go as adults to see their parents and they get so triggered uh-huh. because... They feel they've being criticized, and they're back to where they were as children. so the interaction is not as from child from adult to right. adult, but it's like child to adult parent, even though you're chronologically not the same age anymore. And that is where the triggering starts, that not being seen in terms of who I am today, mm-hmm. but who I was um you know all those years ago.
1: Explain to us what an ancestral altar is. How how do you create that? What's the purpose?
3: I, yeah. So um, Alberto Violdo was a Cuban medical anthropologist. Yeah, we know and, him.
2: Yeah, we know him. Yeah. We know yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the four the four winds society. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yes. And you know what I loved when I when I saw what he had written. Um, And I I had to use it in my book because I found it so powerful. He said, you know, in the West, um, when we saw these ancestral altars, we thought that they were for worship. And he said they're not for worship. He said it was like you needed to know where your ancestors were. Otherwise, they were running amok, ruining your life. <laughs> and so the ancestral altar was a way of anchoring the energy of the ancestors.
4: Hmm, interesting. Because
3: by creating a place to honor them, you could then like pray for them. And I think this is the interesting thing about Our ancestors we're not praying to them we are praying for them for the evolution of their souls for like for them to evolve and lift up out of the earth plane because then their energies are not circling us and when i read that it was also an aha moment for me because in india we have a lot of altars at at home so almost every home will have an altar not necessarily an ancestral altar but a regular altar where you stop and you pray. And I realized that it became a place to anchor the energy of the home because that's where you Hmm. stop. You're frustrated when you're asking for help, when you want to express your gratitude. Energy is energy. Emotion is energy in motion. It needs a place to go. If it has no place to go, it makes us sick. It circles us, you know, it's circling within us. It needs a place to go. So the altars become a place where we can discharge these energies. But Uh, because an ancestral altar is, you know, attracting a certain type of energy, you don't want to put it in a bedroom. You know, it's best (laughs) placed outside in a hallway, not on the floor because you're using it as a way to honor your ancestors. So, you know, lift it up, maybe on a small table, a shelf, anything, place a cloth and, um, know we talked about water like the florida water flower essences are you know the energy of flowers preserved in water held in water so water becomes a way of like releasing negativity so using the elements like water fire flowers which symbolize earth and absorb negativity incense all of these elements lift the energy of the altar there's a transmutation and an upliftment of energies that is happening there, of vibrational energies. So that's how they work in shifting that energy. Rob, that's what they do in Santeria.
1: You know, if you go to a Santero for help, first they go to their altar where they have all sorts of statues and water and incense and, you know, they do the same thing, I think. They awaken.
2: Yeah, right. They Mm -hmm. awaken the energy. That's interesting. This is fascinating. Yeah, so a number of years ago, I had a reading with a medium who said, your ancestors are depending upon you to heal them or to uh, for them to survive. I can't remember the exact words. I, I mean, I thought, wow, this is really a burden, and I don't know what to do about that.
1: <laughs> who was the psychic?
2: Uh, I, th- I think it was Kathy. Really? Um... Yeah.
3: You know, I love that, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I don't know.
3: <laughs>
4: it it so sounds when, <laughs> burdensome. It sounds so,
3: burdensome. <laughs> you know, uh, going back to your mother, who you said, like, spoke with your aunt, and right. then yeah. your mother's been healing. Um, There are, in a family, there will be that one person who wants to repair relationships, wants to mm. know family genealogy. And that person... Is doing really sacred work. Mm-hmm. It feels burdensome to them, but they are actually doing really sacred work because they are healing the lineage. And our so if our ancestors are, you know, seven up to seven generations before us, we are also the ancestors for those who come after, at least seven generations after us. So our actions influence those who come after us. But what The transgenerational burden or the transgenerational legacy is, is the energy of what was unresolved in the lineage before us Hmm. It's the energy of loss. It's the energy of unresolved emotions. It's the energy of wanting to make amendments, uh, amend, uh, for, for what they've done. And the only, the, they cannot do it. Only we can do it because we are, you know, the flesh and blood that exists on this earth. So we have the capacity to create change. And when we heal, we heal what came before us and we heal those who will come after us. Hmm. And in doing so, we heal the world, right? There is a, a void which through our actions, through our own healing we start to fill that space and that's when we start to lift the burden of the ancestral lineage because we don't really need to do anything you know different we can create altars we can pray for their well-being but all we really need to do is to release the feeling that we're a victim of what came before us Mm -hmm. that's all we really need to do
1: Hmm, that's interesting well i think uh i think Washington needs to do that the mm-hmm. other politicians they all need well, to do this healing
5: well and 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 if i and so and so not not so much spiritual but just culturally and i hate to throw it throw it all on western culture but And I think it probably started with my generation, the MTV generation, where everything became so disposable, you know, the attention span went down to, you know, supposedly three minutes at a time. (laughs) And, uh, and especially with the internet, and, and, and now, you know, social media, media. uh, everything is so disposable, even our culture is, 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 I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that whatever was number one on billboards top 100 last week people are going to be listening to 100 years from now may still be <laughs> listening to the beatles but yeah. not but not what came out last week and so it it uh, so i mean yeah so i mean it's not exactly what we're talking about but i think it's a symptom of, it's in, yeah, problem. yeah yeah yeah
3: and i think that's so valuable what you're saying because at some level, our disconnection from ourselves is also our disconnection from Mother Earth. The disposable culture is we've lost respect for Mother Earth. And at the end of the day, she's the mother of all mothers, mother of all fathers, nurturing us, feeding us, taking care of us. But if we think about it, when you're upset about something and you go for a walk or you go out into nature, you come back and you feel better. Because the earth absorbs our negativity, our toxic emotions. We go sit by the water, we feel better. So it's recognizing that the earth heals us. Our remains never leave the earth. doesn't matter whether we're buried, cremated, or anything else. We never leave this earth. Well, I wonder, do you think this, what you're talking about, has something
1: to do with violent weather, like hurricanes, tornadoes? I mean, if you go into an area of the United States, where there are tons and tons of tornadoes, like recently in Mississippi or wherever it was. Does that have something to do with this, what
3: you're talking about? Do you think?
1: Is there a connection?
3: Uh, Well, if I think that the ancestors make their presence felt, why would Mother Earth not make her presence (laughs) Like, can you hear me? Are you (laughs) going to change? (laughs) You know, what will it take for you to shift I mean mm-hmm. that's you know oh yeah. um,
1: it's interesting that's you,
3: what it is
2: yeah you have you have a one short story in your book that i found fascinating you were in iceland you're driving out across the countryside uh, barren countryside Nobody around uh, except you and whoever was in the car with you. I, I don't believe you were driving because you closed your eyes and, and <laughs> <laughs> you saw all of these people surrounding you like there was uh just throngs of people. You open your eyes, there's nobody there, and you close your eyes again, and there they were again. What was that about?
3: I don't really know. I <laughs> you know I couldn't understand why I could see all those people. Um, I, I really don't understand, but you know, it's always like something happens and then you start to think about something else. Um, and I never understood why I saw those people, like what it meant, hmm. but I did realize like, I got understood, you know, in India, when you are entering a new space, whether it's a home, whether it's an office space, you you will call the priest and you'll do a clearing, an energy Mm -hmm. clear. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And I think that is to clear the energies that are there. Mm -hmm. Um, I do know that shortly after that, I was driving my daughter and some kids. Now, this time I was in the driver's seat and they're in the (laughs) back seat. And these kids are talking about like how They have like an outhouse or something. And, you know, my mom says there's a spirit in there and we have to get the spirit out. And (laughs) then I'm hearing somebody, I had a client and she was like, you know, there are the brokers know which houses have spirits. And I'm thinking, I have had this doesn't happen here, like <laughs> this is America. <laughs> and uh, I realized, oh, wow, maybe there is a reason why all of this energy clearing needs to happen when you step mm-hmm. into a space. And to allow all the souls that are sort of bound there to, to lift up and release and go. Trisha. I mean, so- that I want to take on, but it's there. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Trish, why don't you tell, I know your Iceland story. It's an
1: interesting one. Oh, you mean about Um, Megan? Yeah, right. Okay. This is kind of a weird thing. When I was (laughs) pregnant with our daughter, I, I was about four, five months pregnant. I asked for a dream where to show me where we had known each other before, which life. So I dreamed that I was in this empty warehouse. My water broke. And Megan was born, and I picked her up, and she opens her eyes, and she says, Iceland. I thought, oh, my <laughs> God, what am I going to do with this? That was the dream. Okay, 18 years later, she's in college, and she had started working with this woman who was just learning mediumship. And so I asked this woman, I figured, you don't know me, so maybe you could not you know, have more insight into this. And I told her the dream. So she goes into this deeper trance, and she said, that refers to a life where you and Rob were siblings and your parents died and Megan was your aunt and she took you in with five other kids she already had and fed you and took care of you. And She says, and this life is her payback, <laughs> you guys. In other words, this is your turn. <laughs> well, but isn't that strange? I mean, it was a very specific answer, you know.
3: That is, um, <laughs> That is in, you know, I don't know much about mitochondria and how you can use it to map like where you might've come from, but my son does, um, had to do was like something in biology class and the teachers send out the saliva samples and he comes back and he says to me, he says, um, mom, I have like Icelandic heritage. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like, <laughs> un- un- <connected. laughs> I, just, I hadn't gone to Iceland then and. And then we're again. My daughter's in the back seat because you know I'm driving her. A lot of my life has been has been spent driving kids somewhere, <laughs> and she sits and she's standing in front of hers. You know we have Icelandic heritage. Uh, my husband's also Indian, um, so Indian origin. So we're like, I'm like, how could we have Icelandic heritage? And <laughs> now of course, seeing that you know, if you have so many millions of ancestors, like at least a million where do we all travel from
1: right that's so interesting
3: yeah my husband's family you know came originally from Pakistan which is now Pakistan but people fled to India you know at the time of Indian independence it's so far up north when I saw it it's like I can't believe how far up north it is so you know my father-in-law had gray eyes so who knows where we all come from
1: so, well, maybe the maybe those people you saw with your eyes closed in Iceland were your ancestors.
3: That,
1: <laughs> I, I, you know. <laughs>
3: Who knows? It might be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So, knows. yeah.
2: So one of the things um when uh, in, in reading your book that I was interested in asking you about is that uh, the transgenerational patterns you're talking about are all hereditary. What about past lives, reincarnation? You're from India where uh, reincarnation is something that's believed much more than in America, uh, but you don't mention that factor at all in your book. Uh, why is that? And what do you think about it? That
1: could get really complicated, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: that's true, Trish. Uh, that was, uh, the book was complicated enough. as it so- <laughs> yeah. right. But, you know, soul karma in the east is what we have come to heal in this lifetime Mm
4: -hmm.
3: and family karma is the family in which we have come to heal it Mm -hmm. so the two are really intersecting in some place and you know I mean who really knows how that's working but it's like when you are healing what you came to heal you're fulfilling your soul karma what is it that you are here for?
4: Yeah.
3: Um, and it's possible that you know we are the ancestor that's coming in to make amends, but all of this is just hard to know, hard to prove in some sense.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's hard to th- prove until somebody's healed of something. Right?
3: Yeah. Yes. And uh-huh. I think this is why I wanted to focus on ancestral patterns because that's something you can actually see. Right. You can actually see something that is going on or repeating. And even if you don't know your ancestors, you can see what is the one thing that keeps repeating in your life? What mm. is the thing that makes you feel stuck? Um, because that stuckness is a call to going inside and right. shifting something.
1: Interesting. Okay, we're going to have lots of,
2: I, you, one of the questions here yes. that uh, that uh, w- was provided to us by your publisher is: So, uh, what is the Vedic ritual of Tarpanam? I didn't see that in your book, but maybe you can explain what that is. Uh,
3: so, you know, every a, a lot of cultures have these traditions where they honor the ancestors. Mm-hmm. And usually it coincides with the harvest or right after the harvest, and it it can be as as different as you know clam dances in Thailand. It can be lots of, in in India. We have two fortnights of the year where we honor the ancestors, and a lot of those are offerings of like prayers for their well being, um, offering things to others, like through acts of charity, feeding others, um, you know, whether it's food, clothes, supporting others in some way. And they these are designed to sort of heal the ancestral karma, to release the ancestral karma. Mm-hmm. But when I started working in family constellations, and I could see how the ancestors were affecting us literally on a daily basis. I felt maybe there's a way where we can honor our ancestors on a daily basis and release this energy that's sort of keeping us down. Um, So Tarpanam just means offering. And, you know, it's Vedic because it's like from ancient times in India. Mm
4: -hmm. But
3: I wanted, I just modified in the book into a very simple prayer that anyone could adapt or use what, you know, use what I write to start with, but then they can adapt it. And it becomes a way of honoring your ancestors by praying for their well-being every day and expressing your gratitude for what you have received as well as, you know, the challenge is there for our evolution. So, you know, even at some level, expressing gratitude for the challenge, because that's going to lead us to a different level of evolution.
1: Hmm. Um, Anu, when, once, once, once you've prayed for your ancestors and they've been released from whatever it is. Okay. What happens to them? I mean, do then they just, they leave the earth and go wherever you go in the afterlife. Is that so
3: The idea is that when our ancestors evolve, they're not acting as a break or a ceiling on our life, but instead they start to become more helpful. Uh-huh. They can, you know, they can actually support us instead of, like, blocking us. And that's the whole idea. Okay.
1: Hmm.
2: You used the term, I think it was family constellation. I've heard that before, but can you explain what that means?
3: Yeah, so family constellation is based on the idea that family is an energy field. It's not just, like, your most immediate family or your nuclear family. It can include it includes those who came before us up to seven generations before, but it mm-hmm. can include like, you know, the aunt you talked about. Mm-hmm. So it includes several people. It includes those we've harmed. It includes those who've harmed us. You know, so the family energy field is 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 big. Um, in a family constellation, it, there everyone sits in a circle. It's like a group process. You sit in a circle. There's a facilitator. And then there's a client who might have come with an issue and they want an insight into the issue. And so the facilitator will ask the client to choose somebody to represent themselves. And then they'll ask them to choose someone to represent, say, the mother or the grandmother. And what you'll see is that as people step into the circle, into this empty space, which is in the center of everything, they start to take on the emotions, um, even the body language of mm. the family members. And it doesn't mem- matter if the family member is alive or not alive. Mm. Um, they're still able to sort of access this energy, receive this energy without knowing anything about the family member. Huh. That's fascinating.
4: Mm, that's interesting. And so
3: Yeah. yeah. And so what the client then gets, is the client gets like a window of insight or understanding into their own family situation. And it's not just at the level of the intellect, but it's like a softening of the heart. It's like a heart opening that happens. You can start to see what, what, what am I dealing with? You know, what is it that's going on with me? So I mean, just to maybe take the uh, case of your aunt, if she had chosen to have something represented, you would have said, okay, you know, choose someone to represent herself, the aunt, choose someone (coughs) to represent the brother, choose someone to represent the mother. Like what caused the tension between the two of them? So essentially they absorb the
1: energy of, of, huh,
3: Yeah, that's like a kind of channeling
1: fitness sense
3: it is a sort of um it is a sort of channeling that happens and no one needs any skill for it to happen uh-huh. Uh-huh. the facilitator has to be you know like in a lot of integrity has to allow everything to flow they're not directing the course of it they're mm-hmm. not trying to achieve an outcome it so it requires a lot of um integrity to hold that space mm-hmm. be present to whatever is coming up for healing.
2: So you so are you talking about like a group session then with a number of people involved uh, to represent these different uh, people? Uh, or how does that work? I mean, is it one client or is it uh, a number of clients? Or
3: So it can be just one client.
2: Mm-hmm. It
3: can be like, you know, many constellations and it can be multiple clients who get a chance to have their problems seen. It all depends on the facilitator. Because, um, you know, like most things, you're operating in two dimensions, you're operating Uh in one dimension where you're receiving information, you're operating in another dimension where you're working with what is the capacity of the client to receive, you know, where, what is enough for them? You know, how much can you hold the energy of the circle? So you're operating on different dimensions of the whole process.
2: Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Uh, in your book, you promised to give us a glimpse into the invisible world. What do you mean by that? I think
1: she's already done that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I, well, the one, the first level of the invisible world is, I think, definitely our ancestors. Uh-huh. I think the other is our emotions, you know? Um, I feel like we are constantly given the message that our emotions are not important, you know, you're too sensitive, you should have got over it, you feel too much. We are constantly being asked to ignore our emotions, right. mm-hmm. to not pay attention to them. And that mm-hmm. the idea is that we're rational beings who have emotions. But if we flip it and start to believe we are emotional beings who rationalize, who try mm-hmm. to find reasons for why things are happening, then we allow our center emotions to take center stage. We allow them to become what they really are meant for, which I believe is like a compass to go inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes I like to use the example of of jealousy because we think of jealousy as a negative emotion. But if you think about it, it's like, I can't have what she has. So there may be an element of sadness, maybe you really cannot, maybe an element of bitterness, like you tried, it didn't work out. Or just like, I don't know what to do.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: you have emotions of fear, you have sadness, you have bitterness. So, but if you recognize like, you know, this is where I'm I'm crying out. And then the negative emotion becomes an invitation to go inside. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's the invisible part. Not only do we need to connect with our inner self but also recognize that there's a bigger power that supports and you both talked so much about synchronicities that is seeing where that support is coming from
2: right that's interesting Uh so um do you think it's possible to change our subconscious identity? For example, if you have an identity of being, I'm uh, I'm always going to be struggling for money. This is always going to be an issue in my life. Do you think it's possible, If and that seems to be your subconscious identity, of changing that? And how would you do that?
3: I think um, it, it's a limiting belief, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a question of not just you, like where did you get it from? Because... Mm-hmm. Uh We are holding these subconscious beliefs that then become conscious from somewhere in our conditioning, in our family system. Uh, And it's recognizing where does it come from? Mm -hmm. And then the next step is releasing that. Now, some people can just really release it like instantly. Like, you know, I choose not to believe that anymore. And at other times we might need like, um, you know some internal work, and the flower essence is supported, like in terms of what internal work is needed. Hmm. Well, and,
4: what,
1: and, what kind and, of flower? And, oh, go ahead.
5: Well, I'm sorry. Is, isn't it also just determining what really matters? I mean, um, yeah. If uh, yeah. If, if yeah. Well. And I totally lost my thought now. But but I guess my point is is that yeah, uh if somebody's doing better than me at something, is that really the point? Or am I missing something else in my life that makes me jealous of them because they're having some success? But really, it's not that I need the success. I just need to get my life right and 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 and, and, and have better. I think typically it comes back around that you're missing something, uh uh spiritually a relationship or something that you're missing it's not because somebody else has succeeded materialistically more than you you're missing something that is not you're missing a puzzle piece in your in your in your life you're missing a relationship or something i that's the best i can say it i guess
3: yeah because uh when we get triggered it is as if we are we are missing something that's that then makes us feel if only I had that right going back to what we're missing and I feel like two wonderful essences are holly and willow Mm. Uh, you know holly usually comes around Christmas we have a lot of holly but holly is like it's for compassion it's for forgiveness it's for miscommunication for hurt for misunderstanding and Willow releases bitterness and actually shifts us from, like you talked about, uh, Rob, from a, like a poverty consciousness to like gratitude, to openness, to receiving.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And and of course, you know, then the question is, do you believe you're worthy of receiving? Can you receive? Because a lot of times, you know, in the spiritual community, um, there's also a poverty consciousness. Right. Mm-hmm. because of the connotation that there's something wrong with money. There's something bad with money.
2: Attachments and material goods. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and can we release those beliefs that this is bad? This is so, you know, and flower essences like Vervain, rock water, they help us shift those beliefs. Um, and in India, it's interesting because, you know, um, the goddess of wealth um, she has different aspects. There is the aspect of her that is um, earth and you know, um, the myths are where she sort of leaves the palace, leaves the riches and you know goes away and has to live in the forest and exile, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But then also you have another personification of her where she comes and she bestows wealth so what do you believe what do you choose to see how do you choose to like navigate that space is entirely up to you
5: well and and that's pre pre that's pre visualization right i mean you you have to you have to uh you have to see it to cliche you have to see it to be it but
3: yeah 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 and it's it's just um I mean, I think the thing that really touched me is one day I landed in India early morning and I had to buy like a little ticket uh, to get into a taxi, prepay for the taxi that would take me home. And I remember getting into the car that was going to take me on the taxi and the man, he took my ticket and he touched it to his forehead. Like, huh. in a you know, like he was so grateful. And then, of course, he put it in his pocket, but that moment struck me, his gratitude for mm-hmm. what he received yeah. and, the, and the reverence with which he received it. Hmm.
1: You know, it made yeah. me
3: realize like... I, Maybe we grat- all
1: need to do that all the time, you know? Yeah. That's that's fascinating.
3: Huh. How do we live with that reverence, you know, for money, for... Earth. I mean my father used to have this saying money can buy you comfort but not happiness. So he was really clear <laughs> <laughs> that it will buy you comfort but not happiness. Yeah. And so what yeah. you know what limiting beliefs what confusion in our beliefs are we holding?
4: Yeah. Hmm.
2: And in eastern religions uh there is this thing about attachments that uh hold hold us back uh, you know from a spiritual life and you know so the it's kind of a two-way street on on that uh, but it reminds me of a joke i used to teach uh, yoga and meditation and i had this joke i would tell once in a while about uh, the um student uh asked his master is it okay if i use email and the master <laughs> thinks hmm i believe you can use email but uh, just with no attachments
5: <laughs> oh wow that, i
2: think i think, I, I think that,
5: that's that that's officially that's <laughs> that's we gotta, a that's the close our session a, oh, it's great. a dad joke it's a dad joke for sure <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think we've reached the end of our hour with that. Oh, thank you very much. This is great, Anna. I,
1: we want you to come back. I, we could, I could sit and listen to you talk for hours. You're terrific. <laughs> uh,
3: no, thank you. You guys are amazing. I've been reading, up and listening to the podcast on um, synchronicity you had with Philip Mary. That was fascinating. Oh, yeah,
1: Philip Merry oh, yeah, is really Philip's good. Great. Yeah. 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 He's an interesting yeah, guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to send him this one. He'll love it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Oh, wait, let great. her tell
1: people. Tell okay. people where they can find you about your book. You know, is it on Amazon, et cetera?
3: It's, yeah, the book is available wherever books are sold. Uh, Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon, the publisher, Inner Tradition, and other websites. Um, and people can reach me through my website, helioancestralroots.com. Very good.
1: This was Thank great. You. And we'll
3: send you the link when it goes up. John, when will that be? Uh,
5: that'll That will be a week from today. So, okay. Yep.
1: Very all
3: good. right. Thank you so again. Much. Thank you for having me. Thank okay. you all. Thank you. Have,
2: have a good day. <laughs> yeah.
3: You too. Happy Easter. If Happy you're, Easter. You're, yeah, yeah. Okay.
5: Take care. Take care. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Take care. Bye, John. Bye. Bye. Bye.